Well, good morning. My name is Joe. I am one of the pastors here. If you haven't already, go ahead um, and open your Bibles to 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. That's where we're going to be camping out this morning. Um, and today is the, the fourth Sunday in Advent, the last Sunday before Christmas, uh, which means that, that I get to talk about something this morning that, that to be honest, is, is a little bit confusing to me. Uh, to be honest, it, it, it's kind of a hard subject for me to grasp and to understand, um, and that's love. Now, I'm not a um, hyper-emotional guy or anything like that. I like beards and facial hair and flannel and cars that go fast and loud noises. I, uh, I kind of consider myself uh, pretty down-to-earth, pretty, pretty grounded, but, but I have to be honest, when, when it comes to love, when, when I think of love and, and how um, I kind of pursue love in my life, I feel like a hot mess. I feel like I can't figure it out. I feel like I can never uh, be grounded in this idea of love. You know, I'm not, I'm not always sure exactly what love is, but I do know I want it. I, 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 I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I do know that my heart craves it. There's this question that kind of rolls through my mind. Um, sometimes it's more prevalent than others, but that question is, am I loved? And, 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 and this question uh, uh, kind of pushes me to um, uh, uh, make sure in my relationships and the people around me that I'm loved. And, and, and if I'm honest, um, this desire uh, makes me um, kind of do some weird things. Like one of them is I, I frequently will act like I'm interested in things I'm not really interested in. You ever do this? You want the person to love you, so like, yes, I want you to love me. Please tell me again about your Pokemon card collection. How old were you again? 37. Oh, good news. That's... Yes, please tell me about your fantasy football team and, and how it had a huge comeback last week with all these random players from random teams. I'm going to ask really, really engaged questions and act like I'm interested because I want you to love me. You ever been there? You guys are all going to be insecure when we're talking after this, is he? This also drove me on my first date with my wife several years ago uh, to take her ice skating. I took her ice skating because somebody told me that's a romantic idea. You might be able to hold her hand. I thought that sounded like a good idea. I had never been ice skating before. <laughs> I hate the cold, and I hate falling down. It was not a good situation to be in. And yet, I wanted to be loved, and so... That's what I did. And so I find myself longing to be loved by other people. And then when I get that, when I get that, that, that feeling of love, when I do feel like they've loved me, what is interesting is that I'm not fulfilled by that. I, I, I kind of feel like something is missing. Uh, when I, I, I reach out for it, when I actually get it, I'm like, huh. And so, so what, I, what I do is I chase that desire upstream, and I'm like, what, what's this coming from? What is wrong with me? Maybe, uh, maybe I just need more loving friends that can love me better. Maybe then I'll feel kind of that completeness, right? Or maybe I just don't really understand what love is. Maybe I need to hop on Netflix and watch A Christmas Prince just one more time 
to see what love actually is, right? I'm so, so confused. At City Light this morning, I wonder if you can relate to me. Do you ever chase love in all these different places? Is that question kind of rolling around in your head and your heart quite often? Am I loved? Do people like me? Am I accepted? Do you feel like you kind of have a half-baked idea of what love actually is, what it should be, what it should feel like? And if that's true, which I, I gather it probably is for most of us, this is why it matters this morning. I think this desire that we have to be loved is a real thing. I think it's a true thing. I think it's something that ha- ha- is in kind of the way that we were created. So God is love, and I think that we were created to, um, to, to, to be loved and to love other people. And so I think that desire is a legitimate thing. But I think here's the danger. If we take this real desire and this question, am I loved? If we take this question to the world, then we're going to be hurt, we're going to be confused, and we're going to be left unsatisfied. But I think on the flip side of that, I think the good news is that if we take this desire and this question to God, I think we're going to find out what actual love is. And then in that, we'll also effectively be able to love people around us as well once we understand what that love from God looks like. So this morning, I have a very simple outline for us, just two points, two sections, how we know love and how we show love. So let's go ahead and jump in. Section one, how we know love. Have you guys noticed we have two colors on the screen now? Like we got new carpet back there. We got some parking stuff going on. We now have two colors on our screen. I don't know if I can go to this church anymore. <laughs> Look with me at 1 John chapter 3, the first half of verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The rules are if you pick a short passage, you get to read it twice. (laughs) Now what I appreciate about this verse and about this little section is its simplicity. It's very, very simple and very straightforward. John is telling us we know love because we look at what Jesus did. We wouldn't know love if he hadn't done that. And he gives us the definition of love, which in and of itself is sacrificial. He gave all of himself for a people that couldn't give him anything. And City Light, how just refreshingly simple this definition of love is. We live in a culture that's obsessed by love. There's so many people out there. They're trying to tell you how to love. They're trying to to tell you what love is, right? Artists are trying to to capture the essence of love and put it into picture or a poem. Songwriters are trying to capture love and write it into their songs. eHarmony and FarmersOnly.com are trying to hook you up with love. We throw the word love around all the time. I love Raising Cane's dipping sauce. Yeah, amen. I love street tacos from La Casita. I love making fun of people who love essential oils. (laughs) So this word love is everywhere. 
And, and, and we see it used everywhere. Sometimes it's used flippantly. Sometimes it's used extremely significantly. But what John is doing here in this chapter is he's saying, listen, help, let me help remind you what love actually is. It's not just an emotion, kind of this neat idea up in the cosmos that we'll never actually grasp, we'll never actually understand. But biblical love is so much more than that. John tells us here that God's love is a commitment to work for others' good, even when it comes at his expense. John is saying, if you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to understand love, look at Jesus. And, 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 and notice, too, what he points out there. He doesn't, he doesn't say, say, look at Jesus' preaching. He doesn't say, look at, at, at Jesus' miracles. Obviously, those are important and, and amazing. Uh, how, he doesn't say, look at all the followers that Jesus has collected. No, he, looks, he says, look at Jesus and what he did. He died for us. The fact that he laid down his life for us, that is what John is pointing to, the sacrificial nature of the love of Christ. Now, we hear those words, and, and, and I would uh, probably think that, that many of us in this room have heard these words a lot, right? Maybe hundreds, maybe even thousands of times. You've heard that Jesus died for me. So it kind of enters your brain. You're like, yep, I get that. Let's move on. Let's put it on the shelf. But if we can, can you try to put yourselves in the disciples' shoes here for a moment? The disciples, when they read this, they would remember seeing their friend. They would remember the one who called them friends, the one who loved them, the one who taught them, the one who walked with them. They would also remember seeing him nailed on the cross, and they would understand the weight of what's being said in this passage here. They, they know that, that this is a real person who really loved me and really gave up his life for me. See, Jesus' love compelled him not just to live a, a moral life of example, but to give every part of his life for ours. Love is why the, why the Father sent the Son into the world. Love is why he was born in a dark cave in a manger where animals ate their food from. Love is why he laid down his very life for ours. And notice, too, that John doesn't uh, leave this idea as, as kind of a theological idea floating out there in the cosmos, but he makes it a personal one, right? Who does he say that Jesus died for? He said Jesus died for us, for the disciples, for you, for me. So Jesus would not have laid down his life for us if we could have done this thing on our own. He wouldn't have laid down his life if we were moral, if we were just, you know, we're, oh, so close to being able to get it, so close to being able to step over that line into being a lovable people. But no, while we were unlovable, his love compelled him to come down and to sacrifice for us. There is no other way for us to experience the love of God, no other way to live in right relationship with him. And now, City Light, if I can, let me press this in. If you're like me, you know this. You understand this. You appreciate this. You think about this. But sometimes you fail to experience this at a heart level. And, and, and I, I think the reason that, that we can have the head knowledge, but it doesn't actually impact our heart, um, is because we're still holding on to the lie at some level that we need to earn the love that we have. 
You know, there are times when I know in my head that God knows me fully and that he loves me fully. I know this in my head, but then I still struggle with insecurity and anxiety, right? Have you been there? I I, I know in my head that there is not a single person on earth that I need to prove myself to because I have the love of God already. And yet, I still look around and I ask the question, do you love me? Am I good enough? Do you accept me? City Light, are there times in, in, in your life when you feel this, when you feel this too? Is, this, is there this little uh, perpetual voice that kind of goes over and over and over again saying you will never be good enough? Even though you know in your head it's not about being good enough, it's about what Christ has done, and yet that voice persists. You'll never be good enough. You'll never, you'll never be spiritual enough. Even though in your head you know it's not about being spiritual, it's about being hidden in Christ. He's, the Holy Spirit is the only spiritual I need, and yet that little voice in your head, you're never going to be spiritual enough. Maybe that voice says you'll never actually be lovable. Even though in your head you know it's not about if I'm lovable, it's about the love of God who loved me while I was unlovable, and yet that voice it persists. And does that voice cause you to chase love in other places? If I get good grades, my parents will love me more. If I make the varsity team, everybody at school will love me. If I just get that promotion, then I'll have the respect and the love that I really deserve and that I really crave. If I just buy the right clothes and get that makeover, then people are going to love me. If I just eat right and work out enough and maybe recycle a little bit, people are going to love me, right? So one of the great um, obstacles that stands in our way in experiencing the love of God is when we buy into this lie, that the love of God is reserved for lovable, strong, and spiritual people. We think that, that God will love me if I can get my act together, if I can stop doing this thing, if I can just get over that line into being a little bit more lovable, then I know God will love me. He'll accept me, and we can move forward. Now, we see this in our culture, too, don't we? In, uh, in romance movies, romantic movies, ro- romance, romance movies, I, whatever. <laughs> There's always this character in it, right, that has flaws, but they have this beauty underneath. You've, you've seen this guy with the ratty sweatshirt and, and uh, like the glasses, and he, he hasn't shaved in a while. Or the girl with like the, the big baggy sweatshirt and the hair that's doing all this thing, and she has glasses. They always have glasses. They take the glasses off. They're beautiful. I don't. Whatever. But what they need, right, in, in these movies, what do they need? They need the right person to love them to unlock this beautiful, special person that's been there the whole time, Right? And so I think we put ourselves in that story. We say, I am that person, and, and, and uh, all I need is the right circumstance. All I need is the right type of love. All I need is the right time, and I'm just going to blossom. I'm going to turn into this amazing person. But here's, here's the, the reality of the situation. We don't have any quality that just needs to be refined, and then we can get over that step, right? No, the truth is is that God showed his love to us while we were unrighteous, undeserving, underwhelming, and unfit, and that's when he came to rescue us. See, City Light, you don't need to perform. God loves you. He knows 
more about yourself than you know about yourself. And yet, he loves you fully, fully. And he's demonstrated his love for you by giving his very life so that you can live in relationship with him. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners and loves you the way you sit in these chairs just here today. And before I move on, I I, I just want to speak to those of you in the room who are not really feeling or experiencing this unconditional love of Jesus, this sacrificial love of God. Maybe you have been used by people who are supposed to love you. Maybe you've been abused by someone. Maybe that abuse came from someone who is supposed to love you. Maybe you're sitting there in your seat saying, you know what, Joe? If I'm being honest, I've never felt the sac- uh, what sacrificial love feels like before. In fact, it seems like anytime I start to love someone or somebody tells me that they love me, it always ends up bad for me. I always end up getting hurt. Or maybe you're sitting there saying, Joe, no one has ever told me that they loved me, not even my parents. And if that's you today, can, can I first just mourn with you a little bit? That's not okay. That's not okay. It's not your fault. You don't and did not deserve any of those things that happened to you. But then at the same time, can I point you to Jesus? Listen, I'm not going to stand up here and act like I know the reason why bad things happen. I'm also not going to stand up here and say uh, that I know the reason why a bad thing happened to you and not somebody else. But I can offer you two things. Number one, bad things are a result of sin. Bad things are a result of sin. In your particular case, those bad things because, came because someone sinned against you. Someone brought sin and sinned against you, and that's why the bad things are there. But the good news is here, the other thing, is that Jesus is the only one that can defeat that sin. And let me tell you what that looks like in your heart. He's the only one that can love you without expecting something from you. He's the only one that loved you as you are fully and can offer full love and full healing. So if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to look to the only place that will completely provide love, and that is Jesus Christ. The love that Christ shows us is unconditional and sacrificial Can we be a church that allows Jesus to define what is love for us? And so once we come uh, to experience God's love, that experience is never meant to end with us. It doesn't just stay here, not letting it get out. Uh, but, But God's love should flow through us and on to other people. Once God saves us, he sends us on mission to carry his love to the people around us. So section one is how we know love. Section two is how we show love. Look with me again at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be the last half of verse 16 to verse 18. By this, we know love. Sorry. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the words world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. So after John tells us what what Christ's sacrificial, unconditional love is, he shows us what it does in us. He gets very practical, saying we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, and then takes it a step further and says one of the ways that that is going to outwork into your life is if you have the world's goods, meaning if you have resources, if you have wealth, if you have anything to give to other people, and you see your brother in need to not close your heart against him. In other words, to provide for that need, to open your heart for him. And so what he's pointing us to here is that that God's love didn't result from him yelling down from heaven that he loves us. We'll probably have it okay and then closing that trap door, right? What did he do? God's love propelled him to action where he left heaven. He came to an unloving people and he rescued us. And so John is saying that the same thing should mark us as his followers. In fact, Romans 5.5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, is, who has been given to us. And so we see that the love of God, which propelled him to action for us, has been poured out into our very hearts. And we should expect that we, too, are going to be propelled into action by the love of God. Now, this love working itself out through action um, is important. When we say one thing and then behave in a different way, it makes us out to be, what, liars, hypocrites, right? And, and, and you can see these people from a mile away. You can spot them pretty quickly. The people that talk a big talk but have no action to back it up, right? When, when people say that, that they hate politicians, what are, the thing, what are the things that they're saying about that? They're saying that, well, when they're campaigning, they were saying this, and they, they said, we, uh, we're going to do this, I'm going to value this, and I value you. But then once they got elected, they did a complete 180 and said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not for this anymore, I'm for this. What, what, what people are saying is that they talk a big game, but they have no action. All talk, no action. All sizzle and no steak. That these people are empty, like the Iowa Hawkeyes football national championship trophy case. Thank you, everyone. I'll be in the back. Send your emails to chris at citylightomaha.org. But church, that is what we are when we talk a good game of love, but don't actually back it up with our actions. Do you see that? The book of James calls it dead. It it literally is empty. However, when we do back up our talk with actions, it confirms what we already know, that the love of God is in our heart and is pouring out to others. It confirms that through the Spirit. So the result of, of that love being poured out into our hearts should always be action. John says here that we should not close our heart to our brother who's in need. Every time we see a brother in need, we have to decide, will I open my heart or will I close my heart? Now, the Bible uh, uses this illustration of a heart a little less than 300 times in the Bible, and it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood Uh, all throughout your body. What it's talking about is is the center of our emotions and our desires. When the Bible talks about our heart, it's talking about the center of our emotions and our desires. And so for me to open my heart to your needs, I mean, that means I'm making your needs my responsibility. 
Does that, does that make sense? If I open my heart towards you in need, I'm allowing your needs to, to steer my desire and my will. And in every instance that I see a brother in need, I can either open my heart, say, you have a need, I need to do something, or I can close my heart and say, you have a problem, I'm just hoping that problem stays in the other room with you, right? So we have, we have an option here, and I think what the question is, what did Jesus do, right? He saw, he saw our need, he saw our problem, which was sin, and he opened up his heart, and he came, and he rescued us. He made our, our, our problem his responsibility. And so we have the same opportunity. You see a family that's struggling? Open heart or closed heart? You see a, a kid that's being bullied at school? You see them sitting out on their own at the, at the lunch table? Open heart or closed heart? You see a, a neighbor who you can tell is, is down um, and you're outside, but you got leaves to get to that knee breaked? Open heart or closed heart? You see, we have a choice whenever we see a need to respond with either an open heart or a closed heart. And now we're not always going to get this perfect. Let's go ahead and, and throw that on the table, right? In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, um, he alludes to that our heart being enlarged um, is actually a process of growth and sanctification. So as you look into your own heart, what you should be looking into is, am I growing in this area? It, 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 when I see someone in need, am, am I more and more apt to meet that need or less and less? When I see something around me that isn't right, am I more and more apt to step into that or less and less? Am I backing up the love that I speak of in action? And City Light, as we, as we search our hearts individually, I, I, I want to brag on you as a whole. I know of a few people um, in this church that regularly give rides to others on Sundays because they either don't have a car um, or, or, or can't drive right now. That is someone in the family of God seeing another's need, opening their heart, and meeting that need. There's a, a city group of single moms in our church, and, and, and most of these moms uh, have got young children, um, and, and they're, they're trying to manage on their own. Now, I grew up in a, a single-home family, and, and I saw first did I say that right? Single-parent family. Thank you. Not single-home. Yeah, it was one home. Uh, a single-parent family, um, and, and I saw firsthand the struggle and the strain that it is to try to manage all the, the house responsibilities on yourself. I mean, my wife and I, when you think of jobs and daycare and doctors and school and all these things, we're completely overwhelmed a lot together, right? Let alone one person. So the need is there. Well, at any rate, a city group of young families, uh, they knew about this city group of single moms, um, and they reached out to them to see what they could do to walk alongside them as best as they possibly could. Uh, and just this last week, uh, this city group brought, uh, bought pr Christmas presents for all the moms and, and the kids. And, and they filled up literally a room with, with presents for, for these families because they, they know that it can be quite a financial struggle during the holidays. On top of that, they're going to start babysitting for these moms in the next year for free. I don't know if it's for free, but it is now. But the single mother's needs became this city group's responsibility. You see that? They opened their hearts to the needs that were around them. That's a picture of the gospel love of Jesus, isn't it? 
you know, additionally, this, the needs that we see, they won't always be physical. They, they won't always be money or food or Christmas presents or, or anything like that. A lot of times the need is going to look like relationship. A lot of time the need is going to look like I am going to fervently pray for you and what is going on with you right now. A lot of time that need is going to look like encouragement or, or, or just being with the person while they're going through whatever it is they're going through. So City Light, the love of God in the heart of a believer should be continually pushing us into action in every area. But that is only half of the story that John unpacks here. That's only half of how he tells us to love others well. The action that we just talked about is the deed part, but John calls us to love in deed and in truth. So what is the, the truth? The truth is that we believe in the name of the Son of, of God, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We need to tell people the truth for why we have the love that we have, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, there's a debate in church circles about which is more important, to love in deed or in truth. Meaning, is it more important to show our love by providing for the needs of others and, and, and those around us? Or is it, it more important to speak gospel truths into each other and into the world? Well, the answer to this debate is yes. Both are equally important. The, in fact, these two things cannot and should not be divorced from each other. We need equal deed, showing our love, and truth, proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, there's a, a famous quote uh, from, uh, uh, that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it goes something like this. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary. Have you heard this? Use words. Now, there's two problems uh, with this quote. Number one, St. Francis of Assisi never said that. That's a problem. Number two, the gospel literally means good news. You cannot proclaim the good news without actually using your voice. Do you see that? We need to have both of these, deed and truth. We're either going to be uh, people that, that only preach the gospel and don't show love in the way that we act, and what's that make us? Hypocrites. Or we just simply take care of the needs and, 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 and things of others, but we never point them to the person that can actually save them, actually love them, actually provide for the things that they need, and we're just spreading a hopeless gospel of moralism. Church, do you see this? These things... They cannot be divorced. We need both deed and truth in equal measure to actually show love to the people around us. Now, someone that does this incredibly well in our congregation is a guy by the name of John Wakefield. Now, John is the one with the hair like mine. He's in the back greeting usually at 8, 9, 30, 11. I think he stays and greets at 2. We don't even have a gathering. But I know from experience that John lo uh, lives a life with an open heart, right? He, he's continually looking to the needs around him to meet them. But what really stands out to me with John is how quick he is to tell you about the reason he can love and the hope that he has in Jesus. He knows that the love he has to share is limited and imperfect, so he wants to point you to the one who is perfect and limitless, now, I know there's so many more of you here at City Light that do this. Practically, when a friend is in need, you meet that need, but then also point them to the one that meets all of their needs in the first place. 
right? When if someone uh, confesses and exposes a sin to you, you meet them and love them where they're at and provide a safe bit of community for them, but you also point them to the truth of that sin, its destructiveness, and most importantly, the grace of Jesus Christ for that sin if they are in fact in him. Whenever and however you sacrificially love someone inside or outside of the church, the Bible tells us here to also point them to the one who showed us what love was in the first place and empowered us to love sacrificially as well. And so as we close City Light, I have a a, a challenge for you. Is that okay? Is that okay if I do that? As we close in on the holiday this this coming next week, I want to challenge you to carve out time in your busy schedule to read about, think about, pray about, and, and experience the love of God for you this week. It's going to be a crazy week. Travel, cooking, hosting, last-minute Christmas shopping. For some of us, the first time we've been out Christmas shopping all year. But I want to invite you to carve out 15 minutes a day this week to remind yourself that God doesn't just passively accept you or tolerate you, but he passionately pursues you and loves you as you are. And then as you consider uh, how you're going to walk into uh, these places with family and friends, I want you to consider how are you going to allow that love, that sacrificial love of Jesus to love people that, to be honest, may be a little bit unlovable at this time, right? But how is the the action-oriented, sacrificial love of Jesus going to shape the way you interact with and care for your friends and family this holiday season?